welcome to another episode of Women of Story, a podcast where we celebrate women who have made or are making their unapologetic stamp on our society. Let's get right down to business. I have with me today a very special guest, none other than the magical cowgirl mermaid musician herself, Lorena Lay. Thank you for joining us today, Lorena. Thank you for having me, Heather. How are you holding up? How is how is quarantine for you down in Texas? It's been pretty good. Um, I've never been so glad to be currently living with my parents. I have to say that. <laughs> um, the first week was really hard, like, because I was supposed to be on tour right now. So the beginning, like, when, you know, all the news was kind of first coming out of they, them pulling South by Southwest in Austin, which I was going to be playing at. And, like, half of the venues pulling out. And then mm-hmm. some of the shows still start, like, we're, like, rock and roll no matter what. We're going to do it. That was that was hard, like, figuring out all the stress of that. And then I think once it was, like, everything was for sure canceled, shelter in place, then I had to take, like, a week to, like, go dark on social media and figure out for myself, like, mm-hmm. okay, what am I going to do? Kind of this is changes a lot of things and a lot of financial situations so (laughs) yeah yeah. yeah. I'm glad to be with my family like I'm really I feel fortunate to be here with them so it's good definitely definitely so you've recently released an album called water theory I've noticed that water is a continuous theme in your music old and new what is it about water that keeps you inspired um, just, I like, my whole life, I've just loved it. I would buy, like, five of those year calendars that are, like, a different beach each month, and then I'd rip them apart and then, like, collage it on my wall, and my mom would always be like, you wouldn't like the beach that much if you lived there, you know? <laughs> I mean, but I, then I did live at the beach once I moved out to Rockaway when I was living in New York, and I was like, I just, the whole time, it's like, never was there a single day I went to the beach that I was like, even when it was, like, the dead of winter, taking my dog on a walk, there's nowhere else I would rather be, like, in that moment or, like, going out surfing or going for a swim or, like, it's just the best. So I, I still feel that. <laughs> and, like, I love it if it's a lake or, you know, even snow. I love it all. But, I mean, the ocean is so powerful. And I think it's just constantly changing. It's so unpredictable. And I think that's what I love the most about it. So um, yeah, continues to be, yeah, an energetic teacher <laughs> <laughs> of life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely changes our landscapes quite literally. So yeah. I, I can, I can see where you would draw inspiration that furthers writing in, metaphoric senses of change um another focal point in your music is the ukulele love the ukulele i play not as well as you but (laughs) still fun you're doing great though i've been watching your vids yeah (laughs) hey i've been i've been working when and why did you decide to learn to play like what 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 was that decision was it random yeah, it was actually my sister's 
one of her ex-boyfriends is who gifted it to me. He was a musician and he had a bunch of friends that played in Nashville. And like, I grew up playing the piano and like, I would write songs on the piano and I had shown him some of my songs one time and he was like, girl, he's from Oklahoma and he's like, girl, you got to get yourself a string instrument so you can write songs anywhere. And then (laughs) it was coincidentally the same. The first year I moved to New York and I had like, injured my foot and I was like going through all that and he had given me the ukulele so it's like you know and all of that healing time I was just playing it and kind of write and writing songs all the time and I did I just it was such a therapeutic little instrument and I am all about you know people being able to do anything and I think the ukulele is an instrument for anybody and it gets a lot of like shit in the music industry like you know <laughs> I had some real face-to-face troll music engineers but it's like I can't I just there's no pretentiousness about it it is it is for everyone and it's such a happy instrument and I think it's an awesome vessel for writing music because you know it's in an it's not in the standard tuning like of a guitar and mm-hmm. there's just a lot of um new opportunity for ways to like create with that little with that little toy <laughs> but it's a real <laughs> instrument so yeah it's great <laughs> yeah yeah uh so you mentioned your initial move to new york so you started your performing career in dance and musical theater uh you moved to new york and then you seemingly left that mt life behind what what made you make that shift into music? What was the catalyst? So um, my first, yeah, my first year when I was going to Alvin Ailey and training there, you know, I just had like a slew of injuries and I could not stay well. And that really like sent me into a pretty like intense um, burnout and depression. And when I went back to New York, I went back because they were starting the BFA dance program at Pace University. So I went to do that dance program. And it was really at Pace that I just realized, like, what the frick am I doing? I just didn't, you know, I was doing some here and there, like auditions and little professional side gigs, like flash mobs or, you know, whatever little paying dance stuff. But I just, I hated it. I was so, like, PTSD I think from dancing on a broken foot for the for that first year that I was up there and I was hurt the whole time so I I don't know that kind of it was the summer before what would have been my senior year at Pace and I was just could not find a job so I was like craigslisting anyone and everything and I was like maybe I can get a gig as a wedding singer or something And I was still doing dance, but I knew how unhappy and unfulfilled I was and a little bit lost of like, what what am I going to do if not dance? You know, that was so my identity for so much of my life. And I think that that's a thing a lot of performers struggle with is like re-identifying yourself when you grow up with because something like dance or gymnastics that's so hardcore and so rooted in your self-worth, which is like dangerous. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I was going through all <laughs> that and I was sending to like different Craigslist ads and there was one for a producer looking for like a top liner lyrics and melody for a project. So I like sent him just a video of me playing and singing the ukulele, like pretty bad, you know, it was just like with my computer <laughs> and 
anyway, he got back to me and he was like, yeah, let's meet up. And, you know, it was from Craigslist. So I'm like texting my sister, like, this is my location. Like, if you don't hear me, like, I'm like, I'm in a bad situation. Like, so anyway, but I went and it was Renee Verone, who was the first producer of my EP, Bay of Vista that I released in 2015. So anyway, we hit it off. He was doing a bunch of commercial jingles um, for different companies and so he's really who I first started working for kind of interning for him and working for him on some different projects and we had done a song together to pitch for um a South American McDonald's commercial and we didn't make it but we were like oh the song's pretty good and then he was like well do you want to just produce your other ones and release an EP and so we went in on that together and yeah, so he's really who, I mean, started it all for me and believed in what I was doing and taught me so much about recording and live music. So, so you know, I, I also find myself wrapped up in certain identities that I've created for myself in, in different performing ventures. I mean, I also, you know, you know sp- spent a long time specifically being like dance, dance, dance. And, and that's always such a difficult decision to make. Did that, did that affect your moving forward into the, into your musical career? Find Um, yourself looking back on it and, and being like, but this is what I spent 20 years of my life doing. This is what I was supposed to do. And now I'm, I'm leaving it. Did you find yourself questioning that part of it? Yeah, I think that there, you know, there's things that like we hold on to. And then there's like moments that happen in your life where like now I, I felt at the time, but I look back on and I'm like, no, like it wasn't just a decision. And then I kind of went for it. It was like an energetic shift in the universe and my life like peeled (laughs) open and like went a completely new route. And that for sure first happened for me when I decided to change my major my senior year. And it was because, so I I was supposed to do the BFA dance program, but you know, with all the, because I had transferred in, blah, blah, it was looking like I would have had two more years. But that summer I had started working with Renee and I was like, I hate dancing. Like I I love (laughs) to dance. And now I see that now, but I had had so much trauma that I just, I hated myself in class. I hated dancing. I hated I couldn't deal with the pressure of, you know, there is some really toxic behavior in the dance industry. And I couldn't, I couldn't handle that pressure from like the choreographers and certain teachers. And, and so it was, it was a big deal because I, I had worked with Renee all summer. It was like a week before school was going to start at pace. And I was just like, and I had gotten a full-time nanny job, so I was working and making good money. And I was just like, I just don't, I don't want to be in college for two more years. I don't see a point, especially for an entertainment degree. So I went in and I talked to the, um, like one of the school counselors, and he was like, okay, so. I don't know if you have any other option, really, your fastest is going to be able to do the BFA, blah, blah, but then he, like, did some digging, like, made some calls, all while I was there, (laughs) just to, oh, no, no, I left, and then he called me, like, okay, come back in, I think I know what we can do, and, like, I cried to him, like, I just don't know, but I feel this really strong spiritual thing for music, and, like, I know I sound crazy, but will you believe in me, like, I just met this producer, DDD. 
So he like figures it out how there's some loophole and it's the last year Pace is offering it where you can build your own major if you had at least 36 transfer credits, which I did. And it was the last semester that they were offering this. And it was so I got technically a Bachelor of Science degree with two minors, <laughs> one in dance and one in arts and entertainment management. It was like, what? Yeah, it was. And he too was like, I don't, I did. He was like, I, I've been a counselor for 10 years here. I didn't even know this was possible. Blah, 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 blah. So it felt, you know, like that was a moment of like, okay, like I've been chosen for this path. <laughs> you know, like, I'm yeah. just like, this is where my life wants me to go. So like, I'm not going to resist. And really the tipping point for me too of was when I went in to tell one of the program directors um, that I was quitting the dance program and she thought it was because I was like sleeping with that producer and I was like <gasps> what no I mean I just will never forget her response and I because I was like crying like I've been making this decision I'm gonna leave the program but I would still like to do these classes if okay blah blah blah, blah. and she was like Lorena you don't have to like demean yourself by, you know, by like, because you have a crush for the moment. I can't remember how she said it, but kind of like with a, like, you know, some eyebrows. And I was like, I went like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I was just like, no. Yeah. I'm like, there's okay. I'm, my mind is made up because if this is what you think of me as a student and that would be in my character, you obviously don't understand the journey I'm on. Obviously, I'm not meant to be here. You know, this isn't part of my path. And, like, I like I love Pace's dance program. It's amazing. It's an amazing faculty. But for me, at that time, like, it just wasn't right. And it wasn't my place, you know? So, yeah, it was, it was, that was all kind of, so then I ended up graduating by taking 22 semesters of 22 hours, you know, and then I got finished with school. And that was when then I moved out to Rockaway and I built a band and I started gigging a ton. And it was just like, yeah, I don't know. But it was it was hard because I still worked dance teaching jobs and I still I like I loved dancing, but it was like broken for me in a lot of ways. So it was kind of like figuring out which pieces I wanted to keep and which pieces I needed to like shed, I guess. It looks like you found the pieces you wanted to keep because a lot of your music videos have major dance elements and major movement and creative movement elements in them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you. it looks like you've you've been able to to find that primal love for dance again, which is why we all start that. Exactly. Path anyway, yes, you know, that's where you want. That's where you want to be in. Every year, you release a hysterical original Christmas song <laughs> and music video. How did that even come about? Because oh I look forward to them. I find them hysterical. <laughs> I'm so honored that you. Uh... <laughs> feel that way I'm so honored um yeah I just at the first year I don't it was so random like I was working um for a woman who I would like film different aspects of her business film and take photos at their events so she actually bought me my first camera which is a Canon T5i and 
I love it. It's a rebel camera and it's just like easy to shoot with. And so that fall I had started working for her and I had this new camera and I just got like really obsessed with making stuff. And <laughs> one of my friends, Louie, who also he's a choreographer and dancer, he's an incredible artist and friend and he was in the city and I don't know how I just like messaged him like, Hey, do you want to film me like doing this <laughs> They like singing with strangers in New York and he was down and then my friend Haley got down to like hold the boom and do sound for the whole thing and I don't know it just I have I cannot even remember I think because I think I recorded a few different covers like with my band at our rehearsal space and then it just like I, I don't know what I was like well this actually sucks like the recording of it kind of sucked that we had done with the band so I was like how can I fix this because obviously this live version of us doing it in the studio is not going to work. And then I was like, oh, SantaCon. So then everyone was down. And so we went around and sang with all the Santas. And now I don't know. Like it just turned into a tradition. Yeah. I, I think one of my favorite. I, I don't know why it's so burned into my brain. But, but you are in like. So you've like stuffed your shirt I think it's from that first one you like stuffed oh. your shirt to have a belly and you're that literally rolling around yeah on the, yeah on, on the platform so, <sighs> that was because the first year I did like war is over and I just sang with a bunch of different people but the uh -huh. second year that was I forgot <laughs> yeah so that was like I was just like oh I think it's gonna be a SantaCon thing like SantaCon happens every year I just was like yeah this is what it's gonna be and then yeah so that year my friend Sarah was like yeah I'll film you and just for like five hours we went around SantaCon and me dancing with random people and my friend Simon and I had just recorded that song in my closet so yeah thank you yeah it's it's blossomed into into some actually like really high real quality production. <laughs> real production really great this last one this last year was looked like it could have been made into like a hallmark movie parody of sorts so <laughs> oh my god my dream i know when, this last year or was it last year when casey musgraves did her christmas special on Netflix I'm like this is my dream I hope someday <laughs> I can have this dream <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> how how did the cowgirl mermaid persona start like one year when I was living in Rockway and one of my good friends from Keller High School here in Keller we were friends from Texas and um he had just started living in New York. He got, like, mugged. He was living in some kind of shady apartment in Bushwick. I don't know. He got, like, mugged and robbed, and he was, like, called me. Like, Larissa, I don't know what to do. Like, and I'm like, well, I'm actually about to go home. So if you come move in with me, you can watch my cat while I'm gone for my sister's wedding. <laughs> and, like, then we can be roommates for a couple months while you figure it out. So he moved in with me. And he was somebody who we had, like, done a music video together. And I don't know. We were, like, talking one day. And he was telling me how one of his friends was, like, so what do you call, like, the girl's music that you're doing this music video for? And he's like, uh, it's, like, not really pop. It's it's just cowgirl mermaid music. And when he said it to me, I was, like, I was kind of offended at first. Like, 
okay, Dallas, like, um, like what? <laughs> this is my art. Like, this is a really serious thing. And then I kind of like thought about it and I was like, yeah, because a lot of people ask me like, why do you sing in a Southern accent? I don't know how to answer them. It's just what happens. And I do <laughs> surf a lot. Like I love, I guess. Yeah. And then it just, I mean, I have Dallas totally. And then like people started like, I would like tell that story and then people would be like, yes, that is what your music is. Like, yeah, it's Cowgirl Mermaid. And I'm like, all right, I guess. Okay, this is a thing. Here we go. So I kind of just embraced it for the album. <laughs> but that was like probably four or five years ago that he said that. But <laughs> And it really, it, it encompasses a lot of the feel good, even, even in the, in the more introverted and, and, sad songs uh it still has a tone of just like it's gonna be good it's gonna be fine we're gonna push on through so that's it's Yay. definitely <laughs> that's it what I definitely it's definitely coming across and uh it always looks like you're having a blast in your videos with your band you guys must have great chemistry how did you meet them how did you guys come together yeah, I've, I've had a few different, like, bands, Lorena Lee bands, I guess. My first band was with Renee We Built for my EP release in 2015, and that was, like, so Renee's older. He's, like, in his late 30s, but, or early 40s now, I guess. And so it was, like, him and a bunch of his friends who are even older than him, but, like, shredder musicians, like, so good. So we were originally Lorena Lee and the Dinosaurs, and, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and but then you know, obviously they all were older and have like no pay gigs and all this stuff. So yeah, uh, then I I like it kind of just trickled in. Like somebody couldn't make it for one gig, so then I found a replacement for this person, and slowly but surely it then ended up with my band that is my band now. Actually, all Ernesto who produced the album is who plays keys, you know, and I found him through Simon who used to play guitar, but the other three that play bass, drums, and guitar are all from Craigslist. I have had such good luck with Craigslist. And they're, they really, like, they recorded on the album. We played, like, a ton of gigs that summer before I started recording the album. And, like, they're, like, my best friends. I just, like, you know, they were all supposed to come down here for this Texas tour. And when we played together for the album release in New York in November, it was just, it's like family. I mean, that, and that's, like, the most important thing. I don't think anything's really worth doing with other people unless it's other people you like you know like I love them I would die for all of them they're just incredible people and musicians and yeah so that's how I ended up there (laughs) so those are good people to be on the road with and you're definitely on the road a lot uh where are some of your favorite places that you've journeyed well I love Ireland and the UK which I'm totally biased because my boyfriend is Irish but I met him because of playing a gig in Ireland at a little music festival and that was so obviously that weekend of playing the festival and meeting him was like the best weekend ever oh yeah (laughs) but then when I was visiting him last summer I played some gigs in the UK and one of them was a so far show um just outside of Bath and it was like at these um, I love 
bath. It was, oh. yeah, it was like 20 minutes outside, but at this old historic manor house. So they had all these like Alice in Wonderland gardens and hedges all around the house. And the inside um, is an artist that was currently living there. So she had like redone and designed the whole inside and painted everything. And oh my God, that was like, that was one of the coolest, like that felt, you know, it was a so far show and I didn't know what to expect, but it was like, the coolest show ever and it was so cool and one of the other performers too is this guy um jazz delorean who's the front man for a band in the uk that's pretty big called tankus the henge and they have a total like cult following like i feel like their fans are probably like a little bit like rocky horror fans or like you Uh know they're like a cult and they play this very theatrical music and like meeting him and hearing his music and learning about his band was just like it made the whole show and experience like so cool for me. <laughs> so that was that was definitely one of my favorite places I got to go to that I would have never gone to if it weren't for playing a show. Yeah. Where where would you love to perform the most? Like what is your dream dream location? Move Madison Square Garden over to wherever you want it to be. Where is the dream? Okay. Oh, like, this is, like, total other universe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alternate Uh, dream universe. I think that, like, have you seen those videos of those, this one guy, I don't, I can't think of the artist's name off the top of my head, but he's, like, played on an iceberg, him and his Mm -hmm. band, like, like, fully set up on an iceberg. I think it would be really cool if it was like that, you know, like an iceberg, but the whole, like, an amphitheater crowd on icebergs all around, and it was actually warm, but still aesthetically pleasing as ice and snow, you know? (laughs) With good, good sound quality all around. Yes, yes. (laughs) like, something like that would be dope as fuck. Anything beach and sunshine, obviously, is, like, a badass so real, real life dream venue, like packed beach, just yeah, live in the dream. Yeah, or I feel like the quintessential place that everyone's like, someday I'll play Red Rocks Amphitheater in Denver. I feel like that's the quintessential, like, ultimate show place in some ways. Do you ever feel like you're not doing enough? How do you get through those moments? And you just feel like you can't, there's, you've done everything and it just doesn't feel good enough yet. Yeah, I definitely would say that has been like my hangnail of a negative mantra, like not being good enough. I mean, probably my whole life, but definitely it's something I battle a lot with music. Um, And like, Obviously, everything going on right now with Corona is, like, so massively devastating. But also, I think this time to, like, everyone, like, a forced stop has been a little bit rejuvenative and, like, realizing the pace in which I was, like, for me personally, just the pace that I was living and, like, almost the delusional level of insanity of amount of things I would do and thought I could possibly do and still stay healthy every day um yeah so I that like right now has been something like really close to home in my head and heart of figuring out because I think 
one big thing for me, you know, and doing all my own like management, booking, editing my own music videos, producing them, blah, 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 all this stuff. And it's like, it doesn't matter even if I do them the best they could possibly be done. Somebody else might just do something very mediocrely, but smoke weed with the right person at the right party. And they're going to see more benefit mm-hmm. <laughs> in your product than I am by doing everything quote unquote, like right or following all the rules or, and I think that that's something, and I think it's really deceptive, like in the music industry, I mean, obviously my algorithms serve me this stuff all the time, but all those like musicians guides or just sign up for this monthly thing or join this webinar, just like find your dreams, how I made a hundred K in one month and one single day after I just woke up and changed my life. And it's just like all such freaking bullshit. And I just, that stuff, I think there's so much noise to sort through. And the biggest thing for me with figuring out like what is, good enough really isn't up to anyone except for me and there's no like list of rules or list of anything that anybody could ever give me that I could follow because their rules are going to be totally different than the rules that I know in my heart are meant to be followed you know absolutely yeah that was something I kind of had a I just thought of because I just said the lyrics of the song out loud. <laughs> a song that I wrote last summer. Like I was in Ireland and I was going to visit my boyfriend. And I think dating him and doing the distance has helped me really understand that because the way our relationship has been is like work, work, work like crazy for like two or three months. And then one of us will stop work for a month to go be with the other one you know because if you're taking the whole trip and whatever like and dealing with the jet lag you might as well make it a long trip so it's like I always just work like insane like crazy and I went to go see him in summer and I then got hit with vertigo um which I've never experienced and it went on for like three weeks like really crippling um when I first got there and that was kind of my first inkling of like what I'm doing is not sustainable mm-hmm. long-term for me. And and then I kind of realized, like, you know, I haven't done it in a while. I was, like, prayed. Or, you know, I haven't done it in a while. It's just, like, you know, this whole spiritual aspect of my life that was always such a big part of my life to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of, like, re-got in touch with that. And then this one night we, like, you know, said prayers, fell asleep. And then I in the middle of the night like woke up and I'm like I have a song to write (laughs) and I like went downstairs and I wrote the song and I you know I did on my voice memo like five minutes and then I was like okay that's done and then I went back and listened to it and I was like "Uh, I don't know the song might kind of suck I like you never know like do I like it do I not Mm -hmm. like it I don't know but then I think that that's something of like you can't control what's good enough for men to be in that instance. Cause I wrote that song. And then like a week later, a mutual friend connected me to a producer there in Ireland who was like, Oh yeah, let's record something together while you're here. Blah, blah, blah. So I showed him that song and he was like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do this. So then we did it. I mean, it's not out yet, but that is essentially what the whole song is about. Are the illusions been that it's up to them, but it's up to me. And it's like, that's just, I mean, it's like, I feel so corny and like also narcissistic to quote my own lyrics right now, but (laughs) it's something that is relevant that I'm trying to like teach myself, I guess. And it's something to remember. 
her. And like, I like to sing that song because I feel I forget that notion a lot. And then I'm like, well, yeah, remember to fuck everybody. Just do your own thing. Like, but yeah. you know, not to be mean to anyone, but to just follow my own heart, I guess, yeah. because things will fall into place when they're meant to. And when I feel like I'm just really against the current, it's probably because I shouldn't be like, like I don't think we have to work that crazy hard. And mm-hmm. like I have, you know, I've been at this for like six or seven years with music, but you know, it's been like a crazy decade. And I think just like standing back and being like, I have worked really hard and if it's meant to be, it will be. But if it's not like, I want to be flexible to go where I'm meant to go in life and to do what I'm meant to do and not be hellbent on something I promised myself five years ago would happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a really yeah. long answer, but. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> a great answer. <laughs> on a flip side, have you ever had a moment where you're like, yes, hell yes, I'm amazing. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Have you, have you had some moments like that? He, yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think I would still be doing this if I didn't <laughs> have those moments. I don't. I did like. It's hard right now in where I am because in January I did this energy healing session with this woman that I had actually met when I did that UK show. You know, last summer I remet up with her because I have. I was in the UK playing some shows, and I'm like, oh, remember me? I met you. You tell me you're an energy healer. Blah blah. It's very bizarre spiritual like last eight months that I've had (laughs) and so I did like a session with her and it was so intense and I've never done LSD but I would assume it would be similar to my experience with her (laughs) and I think that that most recently was like a real moment of clarity where you know I just felt in what happened in the session like out of body kind of like on the right you're in the right. Like, I don't know what's to come, but whatever I've done up to now is right for whatever's to come kind of moment. But definitely, like, I mean, more generally speaking, it's like every time I play a show and people coming up to me afterwards, I think the first time somebody came up to me crying was last summer. The beginning of last summer, I played a show in Denver. It's just a so far show. I was super hungover because I'd been at a friend's yeah. wedding the night before. <laughs> and I just kind of went, I was, I was like a little bit in autopilot with my performance, which I usually am not, you know, usually I feel really connected. And I, I realized that like these words that I'd written in the past could be really present for somebody, even with me performing on autopilot, you know, she came up to me crying. And I was just like, Thank you for having the courage to tell me this and to tell me that this has like filled you and it's relevant to you right now because that gives me faith in like the greater purpose of things and that what I'm doing and I'm doing the right thing, you know, instead of being like, oh, I'm too drunk or like, hung, or not drunk, but like too hungover <laughs> or like I'm too tired or like all those things. It's like even there in the time where I don't feel like I was at my peak performing, somebody had one of the most peak experiences that I've seen come up to me that had the courage to share what had happened in her life and how it resonated with her and how she took the song was not, you know, my intention fully, but I was like, wow, like, this is awesome. So I think all those little moments, anytime somebody's at a show that comes up to me and shares with me their experience, or if there happens to be some industry person there, it's like, 
I'm playing a show for five people. One of them happens to own the biggest radio station or something. And then I connect with them. It's like, okay, it's not all lost. It's, you know, no moment can be taken for granted when you're like bearing your soul doing anything. And I think with music, it's very much that. And you write your music. You mentioned earlier uh, a story of waking up and writing a song is... I'm assuming your writing process isn't always like that. What is it generally like and has it morphed over time? Um, yeah, yeah, I've never, that doesn't, <laughs> ever waking up. I mean, I feel like that's the famous story of a, you know, for a, oh my God. Freaking hey, it's like my mom's favorite song. It'll come to me. It'll come to me later. I just got Probably in the middle of the night. I'm trying not to Google things so that my brain synapses fire better because I feel like I can't remember anything lately. Um, (laughs) But I just let it come. But anyway, uh, so to answer your question, yeah, the process usually, like, initially when I first started writing a lot when I was living in New York, I feel like anytime I walk, I, like, get a song kind of in my head or, like, a melody or maybe somebody says a word and then it bops around into like a rhythm or something but yeah in the last like couple years it's really anything Ernesto my best friend and he produced the album and we worked together a lot and I did a song last year that I sent to him I had written the whole lyrics and I had all the chords and so I sent him a demo like piano and voice so he starts building out producing it with like more synths and adding some beats and whatever him and another producer they had sped it up a little bit I didn't realize when we were going back and forth with recalls when I went to meet up with him in person about it and then like get all geared up I'm gonna record the main vocal and I'm like 25 oh my god and then I like realized the pace of the song had been sped up too much where the lyrics were so wordy I couldn't spit them out. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I don't know. But they had recorded with all analog since, long story short, he couldn't, you can't digitally edit them like they're printed. And so I was like, damn, but this instrumental so good. Like, all right, I'm just going to write a whole new melody and lyric to it. So pretty much it was like one song, they did the instrumental, then the lyrics and melody didn't fit. So I wrote, and then I was like, all right, new lyrics and melody, and then that's what that song is, which is such a teeth-pulling way to go about <laughs> it. But, I mean, that's that was – so it's always different. It just depends. Like, some songs come easier than others. But for me, they're usually pretty quick. Like, lyrics and melody are pretty quick. That's definitely my bread and butter skill set. I think it just depends because, um, for me – like some people see songwriting as like mechanical, like a muscle if you just do it every day, which definitely I think it's a little bit of that, but it's also a little bit of inspiration and just sort of like, you know, the muses and the creative gods like giving you something to work with. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I don't like there's so many things that I've written that I'm like, this wasn't from my brain. I don't know, like, it's just, or, like, when you just kind of, like, zen out, and then you, like, have a meditation, it's, like, did you create all of that? Was it kind of, like, you're watching a movie? Sometimes I feel that way when I write stuff a little bit removed, and then, or I don't even understand what it means until, like, a few months later, after I've played, like, 10 shows, then something, like, clicks, and I'm, like, oh, my God, now I know what that means. Like, I don't, it's not always <laughs> But sometimes it is. Somebody's like, oh, you want like a pop girl song? Obviously, I can write like a girl power pop 
kind of contrived songs, but I think the songs that are most fun and most appealing to people are the ones that come from somewhere we don't really know where. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's the art that is that I, as a consumer, love consuming, you know, mm-hmm. a lot. Who do you love listening to right now? My favorite person this last year has been Sam Henshaw. Do you know him? He's from the UK. I don't. He's freaking awesome. I like <laughs> I'm obsessed with him. He's super good. And then I don't know. It's been like all over the place. Um, I love that new that song "Say So" by Doja Cat. Do you mm-hmm. know her? I love all her. Like I love I love top forties. <laughs> I love like pop. But I also love totally weird, random, you know, Brian Eno, like, synthy, vibey, whatever. You know, I just kind of open to whatever. It's pretty yeah, whatever, whatever suits your mood. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of, like, old throwback 90s country, like Faith Hill and Trisha Yearwood and stuff like that lately. I don't know. I guess just and Spice Girls, all that kind of, like, I've been kind of, like, touching back into, like, childhood stuff, because one of my friends got married recently, and their first dance song was a Shania Twain song, and I was like, I forgot about this song, and then, so then I came back from that, and I just went down, I've been, like, on this bender of 90s girl country. (laughs) Do you have any advice for someone who wants nothing more than to create music, but they're afraid of judgment? Do they want to create it to share or just yeah. create it? Just any sort of, any sort of creation. They, they, someone who is sitting here listening to you talking about how much you love creating your music and sharing your music and they connect with that, but they're afraid of a wall of judgment or even judgment from themselves, peers, other women, you know, yeah. do, you, do you have any advice for someone who is wanting to do that, but there's just a mental block? Yeah. The most powerful thing for me with writing, like, right, the beginning of the creative process is just by yourself. Nobody else is involved. So the biggest, like, critic and judgment you have to deal with is yourself. And um, I find my judgment to be much worse than any of the trolls that I've gotten. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think everyone's critic is their biggest critic tends to be themselves. And the I took like a bunch of improv for a couple years in New York. And I think the process of improv, you know, the number one rule is yes. And so if the sky's purple, then if somebody says that on stage, then the next person has to be like, yes, and the stars are pink. Yes. And, you know, you have to agree and build upon because it's the only way to build upon. And I think that it's such a universal rule that we should be, like, taught at the age of three of how to deal with anything in life because it's just that is the only way to create and not destruct. And you will self-destruct or you'll get in the way of the piece of art that as much as I might feel like it's a part of me and it's it's my vision. It's it's really just like I'm kind of like I'm also here for the show because I don't know where it's going to go and I can't make that decision. So I think with writing and creating initially, the first judgment really to get over is your own bullshit and to just yes and yourself and not mm-hmm. like write one line of a lyric and then decide that the song sucks. Like you don't know that one <laughs> line that might seem super weird 
will make sense once the bridge kicks in and you don't, you just don't know what the bridge is going to be. And so I think that's the biggest thing for me. Cause I do, I can do that a lot of being like, ah, oh, this sucks. Sometimes it does, but you really don't <laughs> know until you get through it and you just yes. Mm-hmm. And it, and then maybe you know how to like tweak it just a little bit. So I think that's like step one of like, you have to yes. And yourself and you have to trust your future. You like, you have to trust what future you is going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. And then the second thing is judgment of others. And I also think the yes and rule works really well for that. Like when I released that Christmas video, Shine, this last Christmas, I mean, I don't know. I just, I guess something about a, a girl who's like happy makes a lot of 30-something-year-old men angry on the <laughs> internet. I had no idea the incel culture, but dude, I got so many freaking trolls from that. And I just realized like, like at first I was like, oh, this hurts my feelings. And then I just like, but if you yes, and the trolls, some of them freak out and they get way meaner. So I just delete those comments. But the ones who then it, you know, then it opens up this vessel of communication of just like, yeah, you're right. I look dumb and DTTTT. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just the only way I think to deal with that judgment from other people, too. Like, to rebuttal them is not worth it. And if mm-hmm. you can't just delete and move on, or if you're going to let somebody's judgment sink in, you have to agree with it, but reframe to deal with it. And I think mm-hmm. for me, that like kind of lesson of figuring out how to reframe other people's judgments so that it's like, because I mean, there's some truth, I think to some of it, but to reframe it and understand where they're coming from so that it's objective in a way, you know, and it's not Mm -hmm. like a personal thing. So yeah, that's my judgment advice. Yeah. And then with that, being able to look at it and say, is this productive? And if it's not, you just toss that away and be like, well, that's somebody. (laughs) Yeah. Like, whatever. It's fine. (laughs) I feel it's hard now, too, though. Like, I just, social media, and because there's a whole culture of people that, like, group together and are like, yeah, we're trolls, and we want to troll, and our whole thing is to troll. And I think Like, that definitely, when I first started playing the ukulele and uploading YouTube videos, I didn't even know that people could comment. I didn't even, just, I didn't even realize, I didn't know how it worked. I just didn't understand the platform because it was so new. And now I think anyone who's, like, starting to create, it's way more daunting. But at the same time, it's also knowing, like, you know, Baby Yoda was so yesterday. Now we love Tiger King. Like everything, even things that are glorified or things that are rejected, the world moves on so rapidly. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, people might judge and crucify you, but also the next day they will be like, wait, what was her name? Like, who, like, I don't know. (laughs) Nothing matters. (laughs) <laughs> but at the same except everything matters. It's just it's hard. I feel for people who are like putting themselves out there for the first time because for me it feels really hard to put myself out there. You know, I I think it's important that you love what you're doing and what you're putting out there because if you don't then, you know, if if you're changing anything that you're creating to yeah. appease other people, I mean, obviously like take 
criticism mm-hmm. and, you know, critiques. That's different than, you know, if someone's saying, like, I don't like that you play the ukulele. You're like, that's fine. I like that I play the ukulele, so I'm going to keep playing the ukulele. <laughs> yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, you have to be the person that's happy with what you're putting out, you totally. know? Unfortunately, it is time for our last two questions. I ask the same questions, the last two same questions to everyone that comes through the podcast. The first one is, what is your second favorite color? (laughs) Uh, Mine's pink, my second favorite. Probably this, like a coral pink. (laughs) Coral pink? Yeah. All right. And what, in your opinion, is the best part about being a woman? Oh, dang. What's not to love? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh God. Having my period? Love that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Being a woman is actually, like, I say that jokingly, but I would not want to be a man. I have to say, like, as being a girl is awesome. I just, I'm trying to think, like, in comparison... I love being able to, like, multitask, which I feel like my boyfriend can't do, which is cool. I think we just have, like, a knowing of emotion and a knowing it's easier for us to tap into, like, kind of the unseen between people, I guess, or the unspoken between people. And I like Mm -hmm. having that womanly sixth sense Mm -hmm. of, like... We, I can like tell what's going on. Like, I don't know. And maybe, you know, I just think we understand those unsaid things a little bit. Yeah. Or in general than a lot of men do. Yeah. yeah that, that sense of, of all knowing. Yeah. <laughs> but I also like being able to booty pop, you know? So I don't, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we got a lot of superpowers, okay? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today, Lorena. Thanks for having me, Heather. This has been (laughs) awesome. (laughs) I can't wait to keep hearing more from you and watch your career blossom and unfold. You're pretty unapologetically you, and that's really incredible. I've always really enjoyed that about you. And instead of leaving you guys with our usual outro music, I'm going to leave you with a Lorena original. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy, stay fierce, and keep showing the world what you're made of.
Let 